learning by definition means you have to first be ignorant, right? You have to be dumb before you're smart. You have to go into new uncomfortable territory. Uh, in traditional schools, you have compliance, like you have to be there. But in the online world, those are both stripped away. So when stuff gets hard, people just close their laptop and, and quit. What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. This week's conversation was with Will Manon, a course manager for Forte Academy. In this conversation, we talk about live online courses, how Forte Academy is able to operate at such scale, and what programs like this mean for the future of learning online. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, my name is Ish, founder and CEO of Virtually, and today I'm joined by Will Manon, the course manager for Forte Academy, most known for their flagship course, Building a Second Brain. Will, so awesome to have you. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, thanks Ish. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as you mentioned, I am course manager for Forte Academy. We have two primary courses. You mentioned building a second brain and then also rite of passage. These are courses that are meant to radically improve knowledge workers' productivity and help them fuel creative expression, sort of a big grand vision. So um, yeah, excited to chat about online education. Yeah, totally. And Will, we've had conversations for the past few months and I always find them so interesting. And so I wanted to bring you on and talk about, I guess, first about your journey. Uh, in, into the space of online education. So, uh, you know, I think hearing about your background, how you came to work on Forte Labs, but then I really want to dive into Forte Labs and kind of figure out how you guys are operating at such scale with how small of a team that you really have. Like, uh, for context, for anybody listening, I think Forte Labs, Building a Second Brain, ran with over a thousand students uh, in your last cohort. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. We had, a, we had roughly 1,100 students, the cohort that just ended uh, in October. So Yeah, which is absolutely astounding. And it's all with like no venture funding, no engineering team. Uh, it, it just, it's truly, really impressive. And it, I think you guys have really set a trend and we're seeing companies and, you know, organizations start up online courses just like the ones you guys are building all across the world. And, and so want to really dive deep into that journey and how you guys are thinking about the space moving forward, especially with COVID and all the things that are happening there. Uh, but first, yeah, before we get into that juicy content, tell us about yourself and, and your journey to uh, working at Forte Labs. Yeah, for sure. So I studied politics in college. I was working at a large enterprise tech company doing sales a couple years out of college. And I felt pretty stuck. I was learning on the side, you know, I kind of got into the Twitter portal and discovered all the Farnham streets and James Clears of the world. Uh, and so because I was feeling stuck, I was like, I want to do some learning. I actually started with an online class through UCLA continuing education. And that was in early part of 2019. It was okay, but quickly found this class called Rite of Passage by David Perel. He's, you know, big on Twitter. It was just his student in the, in the course for the first two rounds. And somewhere around late last summer, I shot David an email and said, hey, I'm enjoying your, uh, you know, this Rite of Passage online writing course, but here's a couple ideas for what I would do to make it better. And uh, he called me up. We had a 30 minute call and he just said, I like a lot of these changes and I don't have time to do this all on my own. Would love for you to work for me part-time. So I kind of just dove right in. I was working, still doing my sales job uh, 40 hours a week. And then nights and weekends, I was doing this rite of passage course managing. We ran a cohort last fall 
And uh, David was working with Tiago Forte, founder of Forte Academy, creative building second brain. And uh, somewhere in late last fall, Tiago gave me a call and offered me to a position to come on full time as their first employee. I think you're supposed to play it cool and say you'll consider it just for negotiation purposes. But I was super excited. You said, I'll take it on the spot. So I've uh, been working full time since January. Yeah, I love it. And I want to take a step back because like you, you mentioned that you were in this like course, uh, continuing education for UCLA. Uh, you're doing a lot of online learning and then you come across this this new type of online course called Write a Passage and it captivates you in a way that I imagine the other programs that you had been participating in didn't. What was, yeah. what was new? What was different about Write a Passage? It was completely separate, decoupled from any sort of traditional institution. I mean, the institution was a guy named David who had a Twitter account and had some followers, right? It was so much more compelling and exciting and interesting than this online class at UCLA, which the professor was mailing it in. She was writing a book. She could care less. There's just no live component, all just a bit of activity on a, on a pretty static forum. Um, so yeah, I, I had actually met David briefly. I was on his email list and he came through LA and, and we, we grabbed dinner one night just to talk about how media and, and tech is transforming the world. And uh, he'd mentioned this course. So I sort of knew about it that way. And I remember the moment I logged into Zoom May 1st, 2019, the first ever live session of Rite of Passage Cohort 1. Pull up the computer and I just see 70 faces greeting me on these tiles. And this is before Zoom was the common household name. And that hour and a half, I could just tell it was part of something special or different. It sounds silly, but I actually pictured like the wild west, like being the covered wagons, like going across the frontier in this sort of weird virtual way. So I closed my computer that and I was like, that was cool. That was something special. So didn't know I'd be working for him a couple months later. Uh, but that's kind of how it all kicked off. It was all just new and uh, felt very different. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you have a lot of insight into this now working with David and Tiago. But, you know, if you actually like look back in the history of online education, like traditionally, it's always been pre-recorded, like YouTube, Udemy, Teachable, Coursera, right? Yeah. Right around this time uh, when these, you know, Rite of Passage and, and Building a Second Brain launch, they take a really radically different approach. Instead of basically recording a bunch of videos and just uploading them online, they decide to do these live sessions over this new platform called Zoom. Now, I'm curious from your perspective, why live? Why does this make a difference? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's the sense of urgency that that live energy of being together on a call, learning in real time provides, right? That a, a traditional online education experience with just you know, static links doesn't give you. Right? We think of it in terms of two types of online courses. There's the passive online courses versus active. A, a passive online course is sometimes called Education 1.0. It's kind of came up in the early 2010s. And like you mentioned, Udemy, Coursera, MOOCs, right? When I was in college, early 2010s, these MOOCs were this new big thing, 10,000 people learning all over the world. Uh, and the problem with those is that learning by definition means you have to first be ignorant, right? You have to be dumb before you're smart. You have to go into new uncomfortable territory. Uh, in traditional schools, you have compliance, like you have to be there. 
or you paid to be there and you have a degree, a reward waiting for you. But in the online world, those are both stripped away. So when stuff gets hard, people just close their laptop and, and quit, right? These MOOCs have like a 5% completion rate. But our bet was that if you can make the experience live, get people meeting each other, have the instructor show they're engaged and care, it'll be more sticky. People will stick around for the full five-week experience and, and actually learn something rather than just paying money, uh, not using what they paid for and feeling guilty afterwards. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And actually, this was something I talked about with Billy Bross, you know, the wonderful human being that actually introduced yeah. us. And yeah. Billy and I talked about how, you know, Tiago and, and your team coined the term online courses 2.0. And you, you know, you kind of hinted at it right there in your previous response. Tell me more about this. What is what are online courses that are in this like 2.0 category? Yeah, it all comes back to this word engagement, right? It's the student purchases the course and immediately they feel like uh, they, number one, the person providing the course cares about them learning and the course experience is catered to them. So again, you know, there's, uh, you can find examples. I won't drop any names, but of courses where they just have really good marketing and really good uh, SEO and really sort of just drive uh, purchases. And then these courses will have 25% refund rates, some learning can happen in those, but you have to be really motivated. You have to overcome that challenge of not having compliance and not having a certificate. But these education 2.0 courses uh, have, there, there is some component of the actual curriculum content, right? There's recorded videos that we provide our students. Um, there are some PDFs you might download and, and you know, some slides you might click through, but our entire, our courses, Building a Second Brain, Rite of Passage are oriented around a five week live experience. So you purchase the course, there's a few activities for an initiation week before the course starts. Then there's five weeks, there's about 15 Zoom calls, 90 minute each, where you're joining with anywhere between 100 to 600, 700 students from all over the planet, uh, and you're learning together. Tiago or David, the two instructors, are uh, teaching and, and, and talking to you, but the sessions are dynamic. Students are joining breakout rooms with other people from all across the world and, and grappling with the course material in real time. Uh, you're, there's a live chat component where you're sort of, there's this constant conversation running in the background while the, the teacher is talking. People can chime in with their own thoughts. There's you know, polls and surveys and questions and live activities. So uh, there's just way more energy around these live courses and that keeps people engaged, that keeps people learning. And that's what allows the sense of community to flourish around the course, which is what really fuels the learning beyond just the material itself. Yeah. And there's the magic word community, right? And, yeah. and that's the thing I love about these live courses is that a lot of people come for the content, but they come back for the community. Yeah. But now, now the question is like, and I think where this is something that we've talked about a lot, uh, especially given COVID, is like, how do you create community in a virtual environment? It, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, there are a couple different elements that we feel are really important for building a strong community. But, uh, you know, one of the main things is that showing that, you know, again, you care when the person joins. So we have this idea of we, we do an intro call with every single person who joins one of our courses. We, it used to be uh, on an individual basis. Now they're uh, in small groups, um, but we, we, we do that. We do this initiation week to just kind of have this real sense of energy and enthusiasm because when the per person purchases the course, that's when they're interest and engagement is highest. So you have to really rope them in in that first week. Our goal is to have everybody make a friend or get to know somebody uh, in that first week. Uh, 
So that's that's the first key is just having this selective sense of urgency when they join that, okay, I'm really part of something special. I want to be engaged and be getting to know other people uh, in this community. The second key is then sort of harness that initial energy you create. And you want to do that by having ways to increase the surface area of exposure between the different students. So you bring all these people into your course and it's like, how are there, how can you increase the interaction between the students? So we do that again through the breakout rooms and live calls, people can meet that way. Uh, but we also have a, a forum with all sorts of different sections and places for people to uh, meet each other, get you know, gather around different topics and interests, uh, either about the course material itself or about interests completely unrelated to the course material. But it's about creating urgency with the live events and then having a place where that uh, that energy can be harnessed and turned into a more long-term thriving community. Yeah, and it's a- absolutely astounding at which scale you guys are operating with the team that you have. I mean, like a thousand plus, you know, student cohort. Uh, the only place that's doing something like this in a virtual setting in the education uh, are coding boot camps like Lambda School, like uh, like General uh, General Assembly, and these are these are venture backed companies with engineering teams, right? Yeah. Uh, I how are you guys able to basically pull this off uh, with with such a small team? It, it truly is astounding. Yeah, I mean it's the miracle of living in 2020, right? Like each individual can have so much leverage. I mean, there's. I forget if this is from a, a book or a podcast or what, but the idea that, you know, in General Electric, you say in the 1930s, so take General Motors to reach a market cap of whatever, $50 billion. They had 36,000 employees and, you know, just hundreds of millions of dollars of capital in factories all over the world. Whereas Instagram can reach the exact same market cap of $50 billion with 12 people, right? It's just the leverage you get from living in the digital age. And it really comes down to SaaS subscriptions, two things I'd say. Uh, the power of content marketing and SaaS subscriptions. So David and Tiago have both been publishing and writing online for at least several years now. They've built pretty sizable audiences through Twitter, through their email lists. So that's the, that's the outreach and distribution. So we don't need any uh, medium or any sort of channel to get our word out there. We don't do Facebook ads or Google ads. Uh, we find our customers through their audiences. That's number one is the acquisition. And then once we bring people together, there's so many SaaS platforms that you can use to build the infrastructure uh, of your course. And they're ridiculously inexpensive, right? Teachable is the, it's called a learning management system, LMS that we host our course on. And I think we pay $199 a month for for Teachable, right? And, and that's re- really not much. We're paying for Zoom. We're paying for maybe half a dozen other SaaS subscriptions, but uh, really low overhead. And it, you can just do amazing things. You know, we're, we're just really fortunate to live in, uh, you know, the time we live, I would say, what a, what a time to be alive and kind of <laughs> tongue in cheek, but I actually really mean it. So No, yeah. that, that's that's absolutely fascinating. And, and, and I agree, like the tools we have available are astounding. But yeah. that also brings up the question is like, building building an education company at this scale still has challenges. And so, what have been the biggest challenges scaling a program as big as building a second brain? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll talk, I'll kind of talk through the context of the second brain and the rite of passage, the uh, rite of passage, the writing course, it's a bit smaller. It's about 300 students, but they're kind of run in parallel and similar design challenges across the two. One of the big challenges, as I alluded to earlier, is always just keeping people engaged through the five weeks. I mean, 
I wrote an article earlier this year, the dirty little secret of online courses is that nobody finishes them. Now, that was actually published before COVID. Now, online courses are a lot more normalized. I think those completion rates are going up. But that's been my challenge as the uh, you know, course manager. I'm, my responsibility is the student experience and uh, community. And it's how, how do you design a, a course experience that keeps people engaged to the very end, right? So that's uh, one of the biggest challenges. And, you know, how do you just have uh, a, a live session experience that's that's compelling for people, right? Like, uh, I actually have a funny story where when I was a student in Rite of Passage last May, May of 2019, um, I was doing great. I was going through all the courses and about the, the ninth or 10th live session, I remember I was sitting right here in my room and I was about to join and I just wasn't feeling it. I was behind in my essays and I just closed my laptop. And I didn't join. So it's kind of ironic now that my whole design challenge is to get people to avoid doing the exact thing that I did uh, over a year ago. Um, and it's, uh, it's a kind of a constant battle, but we've gotten a lot better at it just through how we deliver a really engaging live session, how we have that community fueling that uh, the engagement, sort of the, the rocket boosters behind the behind the mission capsule, if, if, that, if that analogy works there. Yeah, totally. And, and a couple of things you mentioned, which bring up questions in my head, is one, like this is a global audience that you're targeting, people all around the world. And then also you said, you know, engagement's really important. So my two questions are, how do you handle this like problem of time zones? <laughs> Again, this is like everybody is like across the world. So how do you deliver real-time education globally? And the second thing is, in terms of engagement, how are you measuring? How are you tracking that like what you're building, your product, which is this educational program is successful? Yeah, for sure. So time zones are always tricky uh, because there is no single golden time zone that can accommodate every single person on the planet. You know, there's always either Australia or New Zealand or the West Coast of the US or somebody's always throwing you off a bit. Uh, but to, to sell the time zone thing, there's there's, there's two things. One with, uh, so the building a second brain, each cohort, we alternate whether we're running an uh, Asia-friendly or Europe-friendly cohort. So just because we're based in North America, the Americas are always going to be a convenient time zone. But in the spring, the course started at 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, this past, uh, earlier this fall, the course started at 6 p.m. Pacific. So, you know, the first one was convenient for people in Europe. Second one is convenient for people in Asia. So, uh that's part of it. And then we've also added components to the course to give everyone across the board a chance to have live engagement. So we've added this program called the Alumni Mentor Program, where we have people who have taken the course before. They come in and uh, there's an application and we equip them with some training and some resources and they run their own Zoom session for an hour each week. And so for Second Brain, we had 20 mentors uh, running 20 sessions per week across five weeks. So a hundred sessions uh, in all different time zones around the, you know, around the world. And so no matter who joins the course, you're at least going to have multiple hours of Zoom calls per week um, where you can you know, either go to the live sessions and get Tiago to deliver the high level principles and, and theories and ideas behind the second brain system. Um, and then you can go to these Zoom sessions with mentors and get the practical application where the, the mentor is not the, the expert like Tiago. They just learn this stuff themselves and they can help you uh, coach you through the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of building your own second brain. Um, so that's how we deal with the, you know, the, the time zone issue. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, the, the second round, the second topic you asked about, I was... Uh, yeah, it was uh, tracking student engagement and measuring the success okay. of your program. Yeah. So in terms of 
student engagement, there's a few different things we look at. I mean, one is just how many students are sticking with the course and staying on the live calls uh, through the five weeks. So that's something that, you know, we used to have uh, a lot more substantial drop off uh, earlier uh, when I was first working with these guys. And, and lately we've seen, we've seen less of that, which has been really encouraging. Um, but, you know, there's other things there's, uh, you know, how many people are engaged on the forum? Is there a lot of activity, a lot of engagement uh, on the different threads? Are people turning in their assignments? And so we can kind of get a, just a sense of that. A lot of our data, frankly, is more of the qualitative type. You know, we're not doing a ton of number crunching on the back end. We, we, do, a, we do some, but just given our team size and, and everything else, it's a lot of just a general sense of how active are the forums, how active are, you know, are people attending the different mentor groups. Um, so that's, that's one of the main metrics we look at. Another one that's really important is refund rates. So I think just about all online courses offer either a 15 or 30 day refund rate. We offer 30 day refund rate and that's a really good metric, right? If people are wanting their money back, you're probably not doing any something Right. And we're really proud to have very low refund rates, 5% or lower. Uh, Second Brain's a bigger course, so it's slightly higher. Uh, Rite of passage, though, we're real proud. I think we had, let's see, we had 300 students of which there's over 180 new purchases. And we had, I think, four refunds. And three of them were people who just, their schedules were a little busy. I think one guy wasn't happy with the product, but that's a really strong signal to us. And we used to have a higher number of refunds. So those refund rates are trending in the right direction. That's uh, suggests that people are getting value out of uh, what they purchased and you want to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And I, I think, no, you, you alluded to some of the tools that you're using. So Teachable, Zoom, yeah. uh, I actually would love for you to like run through what is your course stack? Like how, yeah. I mean, given the fact that you guys don't have engineers and you're not building custom software, how do you, I guess, build an experience like this with, without writing code? Yeah. I mean, again, just the, the different uh, platforms that exist out there. So you mentioned uh, Teachable Zoom and it's really ConvertKit, Circle. That's, that's the core of it right there. So again, Teachable is the learning management system. That's where we deliver the course content. So uh, we post the schedule and the calendar and uh, we record all of our sessions and post those on Teachable where you can watch them, uh, things like that. And then the uh, the other main student facing side of the equation is Circle. It's a relatively new community platform. If anyone's in the known online education, they definitely heard of Circle. They've really blown up since uh, the year started. We, we started working with them in January. Tiago had, uh, had worked with Sid, the founder in the past, and they were a brand new company, but they uh, have this really perfect balance in my mind between uh, the permanence of a forum where you can go back and have it as a reference archive, but also the ephemerality where you can have a dynamic chat and a sort of a back and forth, right? We used to use a platform called Discourse and it was okay. It was really clunky. It wasn't, you know, sort of predisposed to back and forth conversation in a real intuitive way. It kind of felt like it was built 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of programs use Slack, right? Alt MBA, other courses use Slack. Slack's okay, uh, but it's so ephemeral that it's just here one, one day, gone the next. There's no sense of permanence. And so Circle has this really nice blend between the two. And that's why we use it, right? We, I was talking to somebody this morning about this and the, it's actually the, the sheer volume of messages on your community forum is not the best metric to measure if it's a good form experience, right? Because you can imagine a, a Discord server uh, or a Slack group for some 
know, YouTube channel or video game community. And there's just a massive volume of communication, but it's of a lower quality communication. We actually want there to be slightly less communication, but thoughtful, uh, engaged, interesting conversation between people, not just somebody railing off some, some joke they just thought of, right? So circle's the perfect blend for us for building a community. Beyond that, a couple other I'll mention, uh, we use ConvertKit for our email client. It's a really powerful tool that helps with uh, pretty sophisticated email marketing. David and Tiago both started on, gosh, I think either, I think maybe Tiago was on MailChimp and David was on Substack, which are good entry level email platforms, but you're pretty limited with what you can do in terms of having an audience and slicing and dicing it up into all these different segments. And so they shifted to convert kit and that allows for kind of have all these different marketing segments and automations and, and things that we do on the back end that drives, you know, sales in the first place. Uh, and then we have uh, Tiago has a separate community for his, his blog called Praxis that runs on something called memberful. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's really the, that's really the stack there and yeah. a few other you know, we use Airtable and a couple other tools here and there, but for the most part, that's the Google Drive and Google Suite. But otherwise, that's that's really what we're working with. Yeah, right on. Love it. And I think we were talking about how, like, you know, with COVID, you know, right now, there's not really an option to deliver education in person. And so, so many, so many more programs are spawning up just like building a second brain and taking a page out of your guys' book. So if you, if you had to give some advice to somebody who was starting a program just like building a second brain or rite of passage, what would you say is like, the number one thing that's important for you to get right to be successful. Yeah. yeah. It's going to sound counterintuitive because everybody wants to start a company and start an online course and blow it up, go to the moon. Right. But think about doing things in the early days that don't scale, actually pursue unscalability instead of maximizing for scale. You want to think about always maximizing your student happiness. That's the number one thing. And this is a real lesson learned uh, with me and David. I started working with David last fall. And the first week we got a call and he said, Will, your number one task to think about is how to scale this thing. We're going to grow, write a passage is going to be big. Everything you do, do it with scale in mind. And so I did that for about a week. Everything I did was how are we going to grow this thing? How are we going to get bigger? Pedal to the metal. And then David found a video on YouTube with Patrick Collison, CEO of Stripe from 2013, it had 4,000 views. This video is gold. Look it up uh, if, if you're interested. It's, uh, I think Patrick Collison, unscalable or unscalability, and you'll find it. And he says, you know what? In the early days of Stripe, people think you should be going for scale. He said, we were the exact opposite. He says, we were ruthlessly and adamantly unscalable. They did things like their first 10 customers, they would spend dozens of hours writing custom code just for one customer. Um, they, for I think the first three or four years of Stripe being a business, every single customer service email went to every single employee, even if they had 15 employees. Uh, they, uh, I think they had their first 3,000 customers. They wrote a handwritten thank you letter to every single one of them. So just kind of stuff you wouldn't believe, right? He says, just do whatever it takes to make your customers you have right now really happy and get to the next level. As long as you can figure out all that scaling stuff way down the line, it should not be top of mind. Obviously, Stripe is scale. They're a multi-billion dollar company. They, they, you scale eventually, but it's not your focus in the early days. So I think that's a real misconception people have. And again, with the, the intro calls, we've done that. With our, we're really, really good about getting back to our customers uh, in, in a short amount of time via email and things like that. So uh, that's something that I think when you're starting an online course, it's like, how do you serve that first cohort really, really well? Because 
the second, third, fourth cohort might not be there if you don't knock it out of the park with that first group. Yeah. And I love that. And it's, you know, having gone through YC this past summer, it's it's something that they just, you know, hammer over and over again, do things that don't scale. Like very classic Paul Graham advice, which yeah. he passed on to Stripe when they went to the cohort, to Airbnb when they went to the cohort, Reddit, uh, all the early big winners. But with that, Will, I have one last question, which is kind of taking a step back and looking at online education uh, more holistically. And think about like, now that we're seeing programs like this thrive, like building a second brain, rite of passage, how far can this go? And how much of a replace can, replacement can these online programs be for traditional universities? Ooh, that's a great question. Man, it's no one knows, which is what is so exciting, but the, the sky is the absolute limit. I mean, there's just no telling, right? But there's sort of two interesting forces at tension here because there's so much you can do as we're all finding out. I mean, I mentioned these SaaS tools, those are available to anyone with an internet connection and, you know, and a credit card, a small credit card account around the world. So what we can build is, is just in the very early days. But the interesting opposing force is this term I love called mental inertia, right? Which is when people are alive, once you've been alive more than 15, 20 years, there's this way the world is. And it just kind of feels like that's the way the world should be is like preordained. This is how things are, right? So it's like the idea of you turn 18 and, and you go to a four-year college. That's just the way things work. And rental inertia is particularly stronger, right? Among our, our parents' generation or older. So it's very hard to overcome that. So that, those are the two forces at play. But I think COVID, you know, it's sort of obvious to say has accelerated this thing quite a bit. Um, but I think what will really be a positive trend is as, as, the, as work changes, right? Work changes from the traditional corporate nine to five where your credentials and your certificates is the thing that matters most to this newer world where uh, what matters is what you can do, right? What skills do you have? What, what value can you bring? The Silicon Valley is sort of up on this already. The rest of the world, I think, is maybe just starting to wake up on this, uh, you know, the, the diving into the remote work deep end this year, I think is going to really change some mindsets away from the credentials and the certificates and what you can do but, and, and what, you know, who's, who's sort of giving you a stamp of approval to what you can do, right? This old world of scarcity and gatekeepers and, and zero sum is, is uh, going to fade away. So uh, there's actually, I'll mention one other thing. There's a, there's a book, if anyone's interested on this topic by uh, Venkatesh Rao, he's a big uh, kind of local hero on Twitter, but he's got a book called Breaking Smart. It's an ebook he wrote about five years ago. And, and this term breaking smart is this move from the traditional hierarchy climbing nine to five job to the new thing, whatever that is, right? Whether that's freelancing or uh, entrepreneurship in, in the Silicon Valley or, you know, just uh, striking out on your own in the, in the world of software. And that book has this incredible depiction of how that move is, is similar to the tension. I'm a big history guy of, say, the, the early 1800s when there's this tension between uh, Thomas Jefferson, and he had this vision of the country as a small independent farmers. There's always going to be that versus say the, the Henry Clays of the world who wanted to drive, you know, turnpikes and canals and railroads and things like that. And it's so funny because people in Jefferson's camp felt that all this industry and cities was there's this almost profanity to it is the word he uses. There's something wrong about that type of the world. Whereas our parents might view this working for a software company 20 hours a week remotely, there's something wrong about it. It's not right, but that's just how the world changes. And if you can break smart and, and get into that 
new vein of, of, of what the future is all about. The sooner you do that, I think the better off you are. And hopefully people start to realize that and education will move along uh, accordingly. So yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm definitely in, in that school of thought, especially considering that like, so many of the careers that people are taking on right now are careers that didn't even exist 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And so how, how can you possibly go to an institution that's teaching the same curriculum they were like 30, 40 years ago and expect to learn like relevant skills, like being I, a content creator, being a course manager, like, that's not something you can major in. And so how do you learn it? Yeah. You, you yeah. have to learn it from the people who are doing it. And a lot yep. of those people aren't professors at university. Yeah, can I actually tell a story that lines up with this so well? Uh, yeah, a, go for we it. With, with, with Billy, actually, we uh, uh, so Billy Bross, a mutual friend who's uh, online uh, education marketing coach, he's a great guy. Uh, he knew a friend of a friend who had a PhD in adult learning, specifically adult education. Really nice lady. She uh, offered to do a call with myself, David Tiago, a handful of other people in the space. And we get on the call, and she has us introduce ourselves. And I go and I say, hey, I'm, I'm Will, course manager. You know, I help design and run online courses. And she goes, um, not to be rude, but what uh, experience and credentials do you have? You know, kind of real like tone. You can kind of tell she's like, who are you? What are you trying to do here? And I was a little taken aback. I got a defensive for a moment. And, and then I was like, well, uh, I've been doing this for eight months and I've designed a learning experience for more than 1500 students in more than 50 countries around the world. But she was still had this whole tone through her whole presentation of a little like, who are these young upstarts and what do they know? And so we're going through and she's trying to you know, teach us all these things and these, these rules about how to teach adults in education. It's like, oh, you uh, you absolutely must do learning checks every week and there needs to be, you know, certificates and all these things like she was presenting to us, like these iron rules of what things, the way things have to be. And we're kind of looking at each other on the Zoom call, like, okay, we're like kind of respectfully pushing back on some points. You know, when we got off the call, we ended it cordially. We thought about it and like, you know, she's, she got her degree in the early nineties, you know, things have changed so quickly that, you know, she has, I'm sure she's brought a lot of value to companies working with them and, and all that, but the way things are changing so quickly, I talked to David and Tiago about this. It's like, who else but us to drive this forward? It's a very exciting thing. Like there's nobody who's, who's 55, been doing this for 30 years, who can tell us that we're doing this wrong. It's all new, you know, ourselves and hundreds of other companies around the world are pushing this frontier forward. And it's, it's tremendously exciting to feel like you're in an industry where it, it's all new. It's all changing quickly. And uh, I mean, man, we'll see where it ends up. You know, we're both in this. Like, we'll, we'll find out. So, yeah, no, uh, no, it, I, it's, yeah. it really is exciting. And I mean, like we work with a lot of online schools and the most fulfilling part of the job for us is definitely like we get to figure out how how to best deliver online education because nobody knows. Right. Yeah. And to see so yeah. many online schools do it so differently, we get to learn from each and every one of them. And then when we find something super interesting, we try to bring it to the masses. We're like, okay, that needs to be a feature or that yeah. needs to be a product that's available to everyone. <laughs> I know it like whatever the conventional wisdom is right now for online education, you and your team could be brainstorming, think of something on the whiteboard, roll it out. And that could become the new conventional wisdom, you know, three months, six months down the line. So it's, uh, it's a cool time to be working on this stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel. I feel real grateful to be in this, in this area. Right. It's all, uh, it's all looking up right now. We'll see. It's, you know, sometimes and I, this, this is, I can't take credit for this, but, but it's absolutely brilliant. And I heard it recently. Sometimes nothing happens for decades and then decades happens in weeks. And oh, that's what that's we're witnessing. One. I think it's Tolstoy. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's so true. I mean, that was, 
Yeah, just if you look at education, that's exactly how it's been. I mean, a lot of ways education hasn't changed since the 1800s. You know, there's all this theory. Um, Anna Lorena Fabrega, she is uh, affiliated with our Forte Academy team. She's fantastic. She's done some, I've spoken yeah. with her a few times. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, she's done. Uh, she's done some writing on on Twitter and her email list about how you know our current model of education, sort of from I think the the what is it the Prussian school of something or another, like the back in the 1800s, they needed a way to keep kids. Uh, out of trouble and they weren't able to go to the mines or whatever. So they established these very formal, rigid schools, you know, seven hour days, five hours a week or five days a week, totally rigid, one size fits all. And it's like, is this the best we can do? Like, of course not, but she's got to overcome that mental inertia and build new things. And we're focused on adult education. Other people are doing cool things for K to 12 education, but uh, yeah, it's going to look so different. Gosh, what was the quote? David uh, Perel, guy I work with shared with me, I think so. I think somebody, I think Mark Andreessen said to him that, or said to maybe on a podcast, I said that education is going to change more in the next five years than the previous 50. And that's a cool place to be working, right? And that might be understating it. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah. We'll see what things like We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, with that, Will, this was a fascinating conversation, just as I expected. Uh, do you have any last minute plugs in terms of how people can learn more about you, Forte Labs, uh, keep up with you guys on social media? Yeah, totally. So for myself, uh, will-manon.com is my website. Uh, I do writing, share, you know, book reviews, things like that, getting YouTube going as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter at will underscore Manon. And then uh, to find out about our courses, it's uh, Forte, fortelabs.co is kind of the homepage, rightofpassage.school, buildingasecondbrain.com. So lots of links to check out. Yeah, terrific. Well, Will, this was awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Ishman. This is good. And that was Will Mannon of Forte Academy. If you're interested in learning more about Forte Academy, go on over to fortelabs.co. And if you're interested in starting your own online school, check out what we're building at Virtually. Virtually gives you all the tools you need to build and scale an online school with support for payment processing, live classes, and student management. If that's interesting to you at all, check out our website at tryvirtually.com. With that, this is Ish, signing off.